Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 101 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor show by show from the beginning. My name is Trevor Dame. The other voice you will hear is the co-host, Matt Feuerstein. And Matt, the listeners won't know until now, but we're getting started a half an hour late, all because my computer freaked out right as we were starting to record. So if I'm extra spicy tonight, it's because of that. I also Matt, got, I also got a chance to inform Trevor that he is no longer ruled by a queen. He is indeed ruled by a king. He didn't know, but now he knows. <laughs> I completely forgot that uh, even though I'm Canadian, yeah, I, uh, you think I should uh, have kept that in my memory bank, but I didn't. But we are here. We are in the era of the 100s now. It's it's pretty crazy. And yeah, let's. Uh, since we wasted, I wasted so much time that you guys didn't hear. Even though this will sound normal to you all, let's get right to the show. Um, we'll start off with the news that happened between the last show and this show. First, we'll go to the Observer. Uh, this is something we've kind of a theme that we've seen a while, but there's a couple interesting little new bits to this. Dave wrote in the Observer at the time. Dave Meltzer. Gabe Sapolsky is cutting way back on usage of TNA guys in case the decision to break ties comes, as it may, at any time. Joe and Christopher Daniels are booked full-time since they are two of the biggest stars for the company. AJ Styles only has a few dates left for the rest of the year. Alex Shelley will be on some shows, but those will be the only four. Austin Aries and Roderick Strong are under TNA contract, but after the situation a few months back, they seem more like Ring of Honor guys, as Aries still hasn't been brought back, and Strong has rarely been used of late by TNA. So... When he, yeah, said, when he says they're cutting back on use of TNA guys, what this show made me think is that means that they're still going to be using them, but they're cutting way back on what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's interesting because it's like, oh, you know, AJ only has a few more dates for the rest of the year. He actually only has like two more dates in the summer, and then that's it for him. That's it for, for like, him for many years, right? Yeah, and I don't think Alex Shelley is very long for the world too, even though this kind of makes it sound like, oh, you know, he'll be on some shows. Well, really, he's almost done too. So really, it is just kind of down very soon to Joe and Daniels. And I guess, I guess, I guess homicides in, uh, in TNA. Oh, yeah, by now? yeah, because of LAX. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that Dave even didn't even mention that, but I well, guess I, homicides. I don't, know, I don't know when the big LAX like feature and push really gets going proper. I don't know if that had even happened yet by um, by April. I'd have to I'd have to go back and look. Yeah, so the TNA saga continuing to come to so after all the drama we've had with this over the course of through the years, like it's coming to like just like a, a slow crawl of a conclusion where they just are slowly easing back. But uh, another story from the Observer. This is just classic. Uh, the uh, uh, a. A reminder of a simpler time when Dave Meltzer had, like, the biggest friend crush on Jim Cornette. Dave would write, Jim Cornette's knee surgery will be on uh, May 9th. They're hoping for the next live appearance will be either June 24th in Chicago or the July date in Philadelphia. He will continue to send in taped interviews for the company DVDs. If you haven't seen them, his current interviews are no better than they were in the 80s when he worked for Crockett and WCW. With Flair having been muzzled and people like Rock, Jericho, and Austin no longer in the business, that means with the exception of maybe two Foley promos and a couple of Roth three-way interactions, nobody is even close to his league in today's business. Adam Pierce will be playing the role of deputy commissioner if they need that role at the house shows until Cornette returns so yeah i mean it's sad like reading these old observers where like dave would like find every few issues a chance to just say like jim Cornette's the best and then yeah he i mean and and i think the feeling was 
at least reasonably mutual between the two of them um, back yeah. then. I remember, you know, hearing Cornette on on radio shows with Dave, and he seemed to like him, you know, and they seemed to respect each other a lot. You know, it's like, you know, it's similar to the Punk and Cabana stuff for me, and that like, you know, it's absolutely none of my business, not my place to tell people what they should and shouldn't do, but, you know, having, you know, having their friendship be public in a way, it's, I'm still, you know, just sad to see what's happened to it, and Wish the things were different, but like yeah. with both of, with both of those pairs of people. But you know, again, not my business, not my place. Imagine how vicious the breakup's going to be between you and me, and how hard it's going to be on our fans when that happens in like four months. I'll never let it happen. I don't. <laughs> I'll just you'll hate me, and I'll just keep publicly begging you to come back to me and how say how much I love you, and you'll tell people about all embarrassing things you found out about me after you sued me. Or I sue you, which, whatever. I know you'll sue me. I'm not going to sue you. Come on, Matt. Dude. If anything, it's all of that's going to be the opposite. You are going to have to swallow your hatred of me, but uh, as many do. But uh, moving on, uh, Matt. This is a kind of a bizarre story I found from PW Insider, which I don't know if there were plans that got changed or what. But this is Mike Johnson writing, and who's pretty plugged into Ring of Honor at this time. Chad Collier will be finishing up this weekend with Ring of Honor as he's heading to Great Britain to tour for the next three months. Collier will be working with Ring of Honor students in order to help them get more experience in the ring with a veteran. Collier was slotted into that role as Ring of Honor didn't want to simply job him out because he's heading overseas. Uh, Matt, and weird, weird verb you say finishing up because someone's going away for three months. Also, uh, Chad Collier does not work this weekend. He does not ever work with Ring of Honor students this year, and he does not come back to Ring of Honor other than working the two dates Ring of Honor books in England later this year in 2006. So, so the one thing that he was right about is the thing that I just kind of made fun of. Uh, yeah, I uh, don't know if there was a plan that got changed, but yeah, another guy, you know, not TNA related, but that is saying goodbye, basically, is I guess the Ace Steel feud was kind of in some ways the uh, the real goodbye for Chad Collier, which th- there's a guy that, you know, could have given more. I, th- I They could have gotten more out of him. I realized he was, maybe wasn't available for every show or, you know, I, I don't think he could have been a top star or something, but like Chad Collier was like consistently enjoyable on the mic with his really crazy charisma and in the ring, like he's what I would say is a solid hand, like in the good sense. Like sometimes people use that as a put down, like, Oh, that's really code for, Oh, they're kind of boring, but competent. But I would say like Chad Collier, I would describe him as a real solid hand in, in the most positive way you could put that. I would say. Yeah. He was never featured enough to really get over. So he, uh, you know, so he never really got over to the level that, you know, I feel like he could have, but you know, when it, when you have a guy like that who has been there for years and is really not that over, you know, it makes sense that you eventually turn over undercard roster spots, and ROH does that from time to time, and I guess Chad is the latest casualty, or, you know, maybe not casualty, maybe it was mutual, who knows? Yeah, and... uh PW Insider, again, we got a couple, we're ending with a couple um, little news, but actually... Fell through the cracks that could have been in the last episode, but I guess a couple updates to things that we talked about in the last episode. Well, one that we didn't talk about, I don't think. But first, PW Insider, uh, Mike Johnson writes, Delirious – we were wondering last show, like, oh, we saw Delirious got a cut in, in, on his hand, a really bad, severe cut. And you were asking, like, oh, did he get that on the ring post? And I thought it was like when Danielson just threw him into the ring post. It turns out we were half right. It was from the ring post, but not – from when Danielson threw him into it. So Mike Johnson writes, 
Delirious suffered a bad cut in his hand, which required six double stitches during his challenge of Ring of Honor champion Brian Danielson last Saturday in Philadelphia. ROH was using its new ring for the first time, and the top of the ring post hadn't been filed down, leaving them very sharp. Delirious went to use a ring post to balance on while on the top rope, and when pushed forward by Danielson, sliced it badly across the top of the post. Delirious's mask on that match was torn to shreds by Danielson and is currently up for auction on eBay. Delirious isn't scheduled to miss any ring time with the company. So, yeah, I was wondering, like, how is he going to get cut it from, like, the side? No, it turns out it was, like, the very top of it, you know, which, again, it's shades of the old Ring of Honor um, ring signs that so many guys cut their arms on. Like, folks, when you're you're working with metal, if it's something that, like, people are going to be touching a lot – I guess the le- if there's one lesson, Matt, to learn from through the years, it's to file down metal. Yeah, I've definitely had – I mean not obviously not on a ring post, but I've had stuff like that happen to me where I touch a piece of like metal or something that has not been smoothed out properly and it's like, oh, that was shockingly sharp. Also, if anyone is listening, that if you're the person that bought Delirious's ripped up bloody mask on eBay, it, on the one in a million chance you're listening to this podcast, email us through the years at gmail.com. I, I'm just deadly curious now. How much did you pay for this mask? Um, no shaming <laughs> will happen. I just, I am just honestly curious. And then finally, we, I don't know if we even mentioned Matt, that Julius Smokes was on the last show, which was kind of weird. Because, you know, it's a Philly show. Usually, as we'll see on the, these shows, you know, Smokes and some managers like Prince Nana don't get met, booked when they go to the Midwest because Ring of Honor is just trying to save travel costs. But it'd be weird for Smokes to not be in Philly. And then, of course, PW Insider comes through with the most casual indie reason why anyone would miss a shot. Mike Johnson writes, Julia Smokes missed the Philadelphia event over the weekend due to transportation issues when his car broke down on en route to Philly. So... That's independent wrestling, Matt. Boy, you know, it's – I mean like obviously it's unlucky for that to happen, but it's really lucky that if that was going to happen to anybody, it was a manager and not a wrestler. Yeah, Like lucky for ROH, obviously very unlucky for Julius Smokes. I hope he got paid anyway. Yeah, hopefully. Although I have to imagine like if that was like Samoa Joe or something, they probably would have tried to like move heaven and earth. Like they would have paid – for someone to go find him, even before the days of Uber, where Julius Smokes, they might have been more like, uh, but what if we're, it was we like, were for you, buddy. What if it was like Delirious, who was like booked in a big angle, but like the crowd didn't know that? And he That's was a really interesting question. Like the line of when Ring of what, how big a star do you have to be for Ring of Honor in this situation to like go out of their way to try and get you to the building, you know, versus like, oh, if you can make it, that's great. If not, that's also okay. Yeah, it's interesting. Interesting thought. I guess, you know, there are people involved in independent wrestling that listen to this show. So I guess, well, let us know what, what you do in situations like that. I, I'm So you're curious about Delirious Mask. I'm curious about that. We we asked the big questions on Through the Years, but that brings <laughs> us to the show. Where the first show after the Milestone show, uh, Milestone series era of all those big shows, getting a little bit of a breather here with Weekend of Champions Night One, the first half of a double shot in the Midwest. It took place April 28, 2006 at the Montgomery County Fairgrounds Coliseum in Dayton, Ohio, in front of a reported crowd of 500 fans. And it is worth noting, Matt, that this is a card that – like a lot of cards in Ring of Honor history got changed uh, a bit. The top matches, the top three matches that we're going to get to, the, the final three matches we'll talk about today, they were always set in stone. But 
seeing as how Davey Richards was supposed to debut on the last show and he didn't as we documented why there and what we think the plans were for him here. He was also supposed to be on these shows. So actually on this show, instead of Delirious versus Jimmy Rave, it was supposed to be Delirious versus Davey Richards and Jimmy Rave versus Jay Fury. And then it was also supposed to be Irish Airborne versus Spud and the Canadian Cougar, who some might know better as Tony Kazina, who was one of uh, Davey Richards' uh, trainers who often would it was not rare for casino to travel with with richards and be booked in the same spots and and work with him so i have to imagine that with richards being injured they probably were just you know what you guys can both sit out because uh in fact i believe on the next night uh the canadian career was actually supposed to wrestle davy richards so these would have been the second and third matches of his ring of honor career but instead they're zeros matt interesting and that moves on to finally a little note from the observer and we'll have to ju- we will compare and contrast this to our opinions but uh Dave Meltzer wrote based on the live reports reports were Dayton was a good show although he says not great compared to the other sh- the show we'll be covering the next time largely because the last three matches on the card were strong so we will see if we agree and we open Outside the building, which looks dingy as hell. They always, they always uh, have something from outside the building when they go to Dayton. You, you got to just imagine that the inside of that backstage area is just super cramped based on the fact that they do that so often. Uh, Lacey is talking to a shirtless Jimmy Jacob. It's always weird when a wrestler is just like before the matches even started, just casually uh, shirtless outside. And Jacobs, uh, when he, Jacobs, when he is shirtless in promos, he always is like rubbing his chest. Caressing. Caressing is actually a better word. <laughs> um, asking Lacey if she saw him lose his match last week, the one he lost on purpose, because he didn't want to have to have her live up to that stipulation where she would take her shirt off for everyone to see if he uh, won the match. Uh, he says he's like his her knight in shining armor, and Lacey does not appreciate this. She's mad and says if Jimmy doesn't win one of the matches on this double shot, she's kicking him out of Lacey's Angels, which again – has one member, which is Jimmy Jacobs, two if you include Lacey, and she says she'll never talk to him ever again if if you know if she does if she kicks him out and he doesn't win a match this weekend. Lacey walks away. The camera zooms in on her legs as the camera always does until Jimmy has the cameraman stop doing that. So yeah, conti- setting up a little you know little mini storyline, giving Jimmy a reason to to you know giving him some very mild stakes for uh, the. Uh, this double shot. Well, for him, these and, are huge stakes. Yeah, yeah, for him. Yeah, I guess. I, I wonder how much that would mean to fans. You know, I, I again, this is something I appreciate about Ray of Honor, that they would all, almost, they would very often try and come up with reasons to make things make sense or have meaning. Either it was, you know, minor things like just, oh, if Jimmy doesn't win one out of the next two matches, Lacey will break up with him in this, a wrestling sense. The Jimmy Jacobs character arc in 2006 and 2007 is, in my opinion, extremely good. So, like, I think all of this plays into it. And uh, next we go backstage where Christopher Daniels is on the phone with Allison Danger. I think Allison Danger might have been do- on a tour of Japan at this time. I'm not sure. But um, he's telling her here he wishes she was here, but it's fine that she's not. And to not worry, he'll take care of this weekend himself. Gabe then does the thing where he counts him down to start his official promo. So like, ooh, we caught something we weren't supposed to see. That that very crazy call where he's just like, I'm sorry you're not here. I wish you could be. Um, 
Daniel says, Nigel McGuinness is first and foremost in his mind tonight because it's been a long time since he's had a title. Tonight, it's time for him to be a champion again in Ring of Honor. Uh, Daniels then moves on to Claudio Castagnoli, recapping that at the last show. He chose him to be the first man he ever shook hands with in Ring of Honor, only for Claudio to turn his back on the company that made him famous. And then Daniels says, Claudio has jumped to the top of a lot of men's lists, but when he's done with them, Christopher Daniels will still be waiting for him. Matt, I don't think he will be waiting for him. I uh, I don't think they really make much of this. No, I, I I am not even totally sure that they ever wrestle again in this era of Ring of Honor. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not sure that they don't either. You know what? They do in tag team competition. Mm-hmm. That I can I can say for sure, now that I think about it. Yeah, but, it but I don't, know, I don't that- know if they really bring up this angle when they do it. But maybe they do. Maybe I'll be surprised to find out. It is interesting that, like, they, you know, this conceivably should, like, give Daniels a reason to be, like, insanely mad at Claudio and, like, go right into that. But I guess because they just want Claudio more involved in the CZW feud up top and they want Daniels doing other things. I mean, it's not like what Daniels was doing instead was so important. Like, they could have thrown Daniels in there more if they really, yeah, you know, and, done. And, and made and made more of the the whole Claudio handshake thing. I mean... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the reason they did the handshake for Claudio was obviously not to create a personal issue with Daniels. It was yeah. to say ROH is showing you an extra amount of respect, and you stab us in the back. So I guess it's okay, really. It's not that big of yeah. a deal that they didn't really go to Claudio versus Daniels. And that brings us to the opening match. Kind of speaking of the Jimmy Jacobs saga, this I don't think know if this was intentional, but obviously it will plant seeds for uh, a path the storyline takes later. Colt Cabana defeats Jimmy Jacobs, scored to the ring by Lacey, via pinfall in nine minutes and two seconds after he hits a power bomb and a folding press. Um, yeah, Matt, this is a Colt Cabana back. You know, if the last match was last show was him back to regular happy go lucky Colt, this is him back to. Super comedy Colt Cabana. Yeah, I mean, this, like, in some ways this match was entertaining because, you know, both these guys are entertaining, and I do enjoy Jimmy Jacobs' character development here and the stuff with Lacey. Uh, in another sense, I'd say this match, they clearly weren't doing the best they could in terms of just having, like, a dramatic wrestling match. They never really got into the, uh, they love the gear that they could have, so it wasn't a particularly good match, honestly, in my opinion. Um, but I, I I think that you know for all that I um for all that I like about the Jacobs arc, I, I'm not really feeling what they're doing with Colt at this point because, like, the whole thing was the week before he lost this match to Danielson in an embarrassingly fast uh, fashion, and he was like, okay, I got to start back at the bottom. I'm going to work my way back up. But he's not really approaching this match with like a ton of determination or seriousness. You know what I mean? Like, he's just being yeah. silly old cult. The other thing is, like you mentioned last week, the storyline is he's starting at the bottom and working his way back up. And yes, it is true that he is in the opening match. Of course, he's also in the main event. But um, he is wrestling a notable member of the roster. It's not like he's wrestling, you know, a Spud who has never been there before or an ROH student, which he, you know, referenced on the promo. It doesn't really seem all that different than what Colt would have done before he needed to build himself back up from the bottom. Does that make sense? Yeah, and also the opener is typically a better spot than like the second or third match on the card. And also this is actually probably, a, if you look at it in every way, a significantly bigger match than the second match on the show. So 
it, it's kind of funny. This, you know, it's like yeah. that old school thing of you stop it, you start at the very bottom. But kind of like in modern wrestling, like I we talk. About, I think we've mentioned sometimes talking privately. Like sometimes on those big long like wrestling shows to these days, like AEW, sometimes the openers were like one of the best spots you could get on the show. Honestly, on an AEW pay per view, oh my god, it's it's possibly even the the best spot you could get on the show. Like the first or second match is almost always the hottest crowd. Um, I've I've been saying for a while they should let some of the women's matches go first, especially the ones with like yeah. a real high level of potential, because I think those matches would be um, would get over way better and be remembered better. But anyway, total tangent. Um, you know, like the crowd is hot for this, and they're not super hot for a lot of the rest of the undercard. So that does show the the value of being in the opener. Also, you know, again, these are two characters that are relatively over, um, and. You know, like the, the 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 way the match goes. Well, first of all, something funny that happened at the beginning was someone with a real Southern accent yelled at Lacey, "You're way too good for him," and I thought it was pretty funny. I'm not going to do the accent because that might be offensive to people, but it was funny. Um, um, but um, yeah, like well, the, basically the idea is that Colt was like bullying Jacobs early. You know, laughing at him, shoving him to the mat. Jacobs would get mad. There was a spot at one point where Colt on the floor pulls Lacey in between him and Jacobs. And then that actually, actually allows Jacobs to take over a little bit, throw him into the ring post, take an advantage, jump up and down on him, you know, yell at Cabana, calling him a son of a bitch and telling him not to touch Lacey. You know, the, the, the usual character development we've been getting from Jacobs. Um, and eventually Cabana comes back. My highlight of the match is actually when Cabana rechristened the butt, butt, the flying asshole, because I think that's an all-time great name of a move, personally. I was going to ask, is this the first time he did that? Because I thought it was. Cause he, he's first been time, first time he did it in ROH, at least. He's been doing the butt-butt for a while, but I think this is the first time he said flying asshole before he did it. Well, because also Prazak reacted like he was shot. He was like, did he just say flying asshole? So <laughs> I'm, uh, I was very happy with that. But no, I mean, the match just didn't really amount to much. Like, it just they, – they it was entertaining. The story made sense, so it wasn't bad. But – I just I don't know. I think that Cabana's approach was incongruent of the story they were telling with him and they didn't, you know, they they had an opener. They didn't go to they didn't go out there trying to steal the show in any in any sense of the word. Yeah, this was a decent somewhat entertaining match but nothing great. You know, this is more of the school of an if you believe an opener should kind of ease you into the show rather than be like a hot start, then you'd probably be happy with this. Cult back to complete comedy mode like you said where the first few minutes, he's just absolutely bullying uh, Jacobs, like just shoving him like he's a little kid. And then, like you were saying, the recent character development for Jacobs, where the second he ever threatens uh, Lacey in any way, an opponent threatens Lacey in any way, he like sees red and just goes nuts and starts swearing and then actually starts taking control, even spits on Colt, I believe, in this match. Um there was a, they did get to a little bit more action in the final few minutes. The tempo never really got up as fast as you think these guys could, which will be kind of a theme for the night. But, you know, there was a cool spot where, uh, Jacobs drop kicked, uh, Colt out of midair when he did the SIE moonsault. Uh, a couple notes. I thought, I thought maybe in a way Colt did a better review of this match than either of us ever could because near the start of the match, you know, like Colt, uh, Jimmy is pissed or something and Colt says something off the mic. I believe it's something to the effect of him going, Jimmy, your intensity is at a 10 and you need to take it down here to like a three because I'm an opening match guy again. Colt basically like telling <laughs> you, 
Like I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not like what you were saying. Like this is what this is the uh, this is the the shoot conversation they had backstage. Exactly, and um, yeah. Um, the other thing I was gonna say is uh, Jacob stumbles on the ramp when he makes his entrance, which I am always a fan. I I would watch a compilation of wrestlers stumbling on the ramp, even though I'm sure that's embarrassing and not fun for those guys. I believe we had a ramp stumble a few shows ago from Sal Renaro. It's just especially when it's a tiny ramp for some reason that that's funny. He like Jimmy turns around to do the old "I'm tapping my heart for Lacey" and he just stumbles. The and- only the only one that I can't say I enjoy. Is and I've mentioned this one before. Watching Ultimo Dragon do it at WrestleMania 20, that one's just too heartbreaking for me. Yeah, th- th- definitely. And even the Tyus O'Neill thing was sad because although it could be funny, it was like, oh no, like Vince McMahon's never going to forget that, is he? Like that well, you just he, wiped he did, out. He, he didn't. <laughs> but now we can forget about Vince McMahon, I guess. Um, I wouldn't be. So, I, I, I wouldn't be so sure. But you know. <laughs> oh, one other move I liked in the match. Uh, Jimmy does a spear, and then he immediately floats over from the spear into like that Northern Light Suplex style bridging pin, like without like seamlessly. And I thought that was a really cool thing that more guys should do. And uh, uh, another thing I, I'll, I'll say is uh, we get a screen crawl on the bottom of the screen during this match. I believe this is the first for Ring of Honor that tells us to watch the video wire, the ROH video wire. That's an extra feature on the DVD menu before you watch this event. Um, I did watch the video wire. It's nothing you absolutely need to see. I think there was like a fresh Jim Cornette promo that he like says a lot of the exact same verbiage during his promo we're about to cover. But I believe this is what's the first time at least Ring of Honor went out of their way to like point out like – Hey, those online video wires, we're actually now sticking them on the DVD and like, hey, you should watch that first. Yeah, I think this probably was the first time it was on the DVD. Gabe totally into the video wire in a big bad way at this point. Um, let me just... And that one, that one sticks for a while. They, they put those on the DVDs for a good while after this. They, they, that's not just like a, a phase that they drop pretty quickly like they with a lot of other things. Yeah, and it's smart, you know. Why not stick those on the DVDs? Also, one kind of gross thing, uh, at one point, Colt tries to peek under Lacey's skirt before the match, and I think he says to a fan, she's all furry, which, come on, Colt, be better. Um, after the match, I, I think uh, he probably is better now. <laughs> after the match, Colt is starting to leave, and Jim Cornette's Midnight Express music starts, and out he comes on a crutch, because, you know, he legit needs knee surgery, with a steel by his side. Uh, Cornette grabs the mic and says it was three months ago when a lot of this crap got started with the hardcore wrestlers here in Dayton. Cornette recaps the last show. The crowd boos CZW. Cornette says he needs surgery May 9th for his knee. Pierce has 20 surgical staples. BJ Whitmer is in a neck brace with a cervical injury. So right now he's asking Colt Cabana if he can count on him to help them out. Cornette wants a hell yeah from Colt. Uh, Colt says he knows the numbers don't look good for Ring of Honor right now, but he remembered Samoa Joe and CM Punk going for 60 minutes in this building during another time when Ring of Honor was done in people's minds. So he says Ring of Honor will never give up. Colt says, the, says, despite that, he was told he has to start his way from the bottom again, the opening match, and he thinks his duties are done here tonight then. The crowd boos. Colt starts to leave the ring, but Cornette stops him. Cornette asks if he's really going to turn his back on Ring of Honor and these people. The crowd chants for Colt. Cornette says he's not asking for Colt to stay and wrestle. He's asking him to stay and fight. 
And uh, Colt says nowhere did it say he couldn't fight, just that he couldn't wrestle. So he will be there tonight, and he will kick CZW's ass. Wasn't so hard to convince Colt. He was like, I can't do it. And then Cornette's like, come on, do it. And Colt's like, all right, I can do it. (laughs) Let me just do a minor, like, verbiage game here. <laughs> You'll feel yes. real good about it. It's, it's, it's so, like, it's like, yeah, no, you, I, I can't wrestle this. And, and, and Cornette's like, yes, you can. And Cabana's like, no, I, you know, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> Cornette says, Ring of Honor may be broken, but it's not broke. Cornette then calls out Claudio Castagnoli, calling him a deserter, repeating basically a promo he did on the video wires. So again, those video wires, they're on YouTube if you dig for them, but like, you, you, the, the same gist of it, Cornette repeats here. And um, Cornette says, Claudio is supposed to be here, but he hasn't showed up yet tonight. He says he'd love to see him breach his Ring of Honor contract by no-showing. He'd love him to do that so he could then send him back on his way. But he says that Claudio does show up. He's got hell coming down on him tonight. So, you know, just a problem to insert Colt into the main event for tonight. And I'll, again, I'll, so I'll say this. To- I'll say this. I think this was Cornette's least objectionable promo of the CZW feud so far. Didn't say anything that I found offensive and you know he, his delivery was good so i thought overall it was a good promo i also like that cabana and steel did the rockers ring ex- exit where they flip <laughs> over the top rope and like put their hands on the apron and then do another flip to get back onto the floor i enjoyed that very much <laughs> i completely overlooked that but uh yeah and again you know it's like i said with the opening match stuff like i appreciate the little or the Whatever, the, whatever I was referring to before, the, the little extra efforts Ring of Honor goes to sometimes. Like, yes, it's not a great reason. The idea of Cornet saying, "Well, you're not an opener. You're not gonna, you're not gonna wrestle in the main event. You're gonna fight, even though you've dedicated yourself to just the openers." I mean, it's a very flimsy effort, but I feel like some promotions wouldn't even make that flimsy of an effort. They would just like, you know, if it was again, if we're gonna go back to like Vince McMahon style book, he'd be like, "Ah, fans don't give a shit anyway." At least they felt enough to like try to give you a small thread of a reason why this is acceptable and still keeping yes. the storyline relevant. But or, or AEW, we just don't have time for this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, we go to Irish Airborne, Dake, Dave and Jake Christ, defeating also, Jake. Also known as Dake Christ. <laughs> That's if they were combined, Dake Christ. Um, defeated Jay Fury and Spud, the debuting Spud in 8 minutes, 12 seconds, when Dave Christ pinned Fury after he and uh, Jake hit him with the whatever the Irish Airborne called their finisher sequence, which was the big flying double stomp into the Death Valley driver on the knees of their partner finisher sequence thingy, Bob. But um, this was eight minutes of spots. Uh, maybe a lower, little slower pacing, your typical like breakneck, low, low on the card, like spot fest scrambly type match. But there were no heel, holds here. Lots of flippy doos. There was a big dive train near the end. Uh, the Chris do lots of springboard moves, as is the, their that's their kind of their thing at this point in their careers. And it is a real trip, Matt. I would say to see like if you just know Spud as Drake Maverick, like to see him as like this very young looking like a little kid dressed up in like the classic kind of mid aughts indie riffic gear doing the big high flying spot fest stuff it, it was kind of a, tr- a real trip for me to see him like back in that role with that look he botches once but he has a lot of spunk he's clearly trying hard he has, a lot, he has a lot of spud you mean <laughs> um i would rather have a lot of spud because i mean more than anything in general like i mean just i love potatoes but anyway <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
Um, Spud gets a you fucked up chant here. And but what I do like is it followed up very quickly by other fans in the crowd chanting, at least you at least he tried, which, again, another thing I don't know. I've heard that more than once. I don't know if this is the first time, but another example of the evolving tastes of crowds where there are some fans that are like, you know what? It's not cool that you're doing that, man. We're going to try yeah. and be supportive. Which Ohio, hey. Ohio, those, those nice Ohioans. It wouldn't happen in New York, I don't think. Very much a sign of, of, of Ohio being a purple state where, you know, you got half the crowd being mean <laughs> and you got the other half of the crowd being like, hey, it's okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Ohio, I think, was way more purple back then. Now I feel like it's getting pretty yeah, red. Nowadays, they'd be, they'd be totally you fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> in case you didn't know what side we were on, on yeah, exactly. <laughs> listeners uh, um, so yeah I thought this was slightly above average like it was enjoyable enough and it didn't overstay its welcome I felt a little bad for Jay Theory because he got the least amount of spotlight here and he takes the fall which kind of bums me out because I feel like he's been pretty we've enjoyed him you know like he's not hasn't been an, an amazing revelation but I feel like every time we've seen him so far on the show we've been like yeah he's pretty good he deserves more opportunity and you know he was going to get to wrestle Jimmy Rave on this show before the card to get shuffled so maybe he would have gotten more opportunity in a match like that but uh yeah, this is not a crazy barn burner, but it's fun enough if you don't really think too hard. Yeah, I um, you say it was a little above average, and I feel like sometimes saying that is means the match was disappointing, and I feel like that's not the case here. Like, I think this match pretty much lived up to the high end of what I could have expected when I saw it was on the show. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they, you know, they weren't going to get this, like, you know, time to get this big epic match, so... And, you know, these were guys that were in some ways less experienced and polished and seasoned than some of the other people on the roster. So there was going to be more sloppiness, maybe some more botches. But they went fast enough. They did enough cool stuff that I thought it was, you know, genuinely entertaining and, you know, an asset to the show, not a hindrance. So I think that's that's the best you could hope for here, right? Like that it makes it made the show better rather than worse. Um, I also enjoyed, um, you know, some of the moves. Like I also I, – I, I didn't realize that – Jay Fury's like Kip Up Enziguri was called the Ends of Fury, which is what Trazak <laughs> called it, and I think that's a very good name. I like that. Um, I also like uh, when Dave Christ hit another thing that Prazak called that I wouldn't have thought of a springboard marrow salt, which I did not know that a that the name marrow salt had, was <laughs> continued to be in the pro wrestling move lexicon in two thousand and six. That's that was genuinely surprising. Like, does the, does the word marrow salt even enter your brain ever? No, I feel yeah. like when Dave Prezak does uh, the Between the Sheets podcast, he's usually on like a mid-90s episode, it seems. Like, maybe that's just my imagination. But, like, I, I could see maybe the, he maybe he, Dave was just real into the mid-90s, as many of us were. And he's just like, you know what? That's the marrow salt. I wonder if he still <laughs> would respect. call that the marrow salt if it, ha- if it happened on a show he was calling now. Because Mar- he might be the one person keeping Mark Marrow's wild man era legacy alive. <laughs> you know, I feel like there are people that fondly remember Johnny B. Bad. Um, yeah. There are even some people that, you know, like the Attitude Era. So remember Mark Marrow's mixed tag matches against Sable and the time where he tricked her into letting him pin her, right? But how mm-hmm. many people are actually nostalgic for the wild man Mark Marrow? Well, Dave Prezak is. And that's the most important thing about this match. 
I will say if we can top them up for the show with people go back and listen, the slight pause and then the slight bit of extra enthusiasm when Matt first said wild man in the word, phrase wild man, Mark Merrow. Well, okay. I, 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 people are having, hi, uh, sorry. I, I stopped just for a second. I hope no one is hearing that. There's an incredibly loud domestic dis- dispute going uh on across the hall, but oh, I, good. Will, uh, I will not edit this out then. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is, uh, I, I, I got caught. I was listening to see if it was bad enough that I, uh, need to call the police, but, um, should I edit it out or should, would the listeners enjoy hearing about it? Uh, you know, what's weird enough. Let's, let's, you know what, maybe it'll have to be evidence one day. Who knows? But, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll leave it in listeners, yeah. <laughs> listeners. Here's Trevor's address in case you need to call. No, just kidding. Okay, so uh, okay. Um, we, and you know what the sad thing is? We're getting to one of my favorite parts of the show. You next, should you should and, just bang on the door and be like, "Hey, I'm recording a podcast," <laughs> and then that'll actually probably make them both feel bad, and then they'll make up. Um. So immediately after that match, I shouldn't joke about s- domestic disputes. It's it's not funny. No, I mean again, yeah. I mean, you know what? We we need to joke just because this has been a really crappy night for me at this point. So let's have some fun and move on to one of my favorite moments of the entire show. Uh, immediately after the match, we cut to Super Dragon viciously attacking a Ring of Honor student from behind, right next to a big, burly, older man with a gray great coatee, sunglasses on, arms crossed below his, uh, across his chest, and below his arms, we can see on his t-shirt, it has the words Big Daddy written across them. And this man, he casually just looks over at something that's happening, Matt, literally like two inches from him, like he's seeing an ant walk along a, cro- a patch of sidewalk. Like he, he could not be like less bothered that Super Dragon is just decking this guy, like almost touching him. And then Super Dragon dumps the student to, into the ringside area. Grabs it, was, it, was, it was Sugarfoot Alex Payne, was it not? I, yeah, I believe so. Uh, Dragon then, for some reason, grabs a steel chair, even though he doesn't use it on anyone. I guess he just wants some fence. And he just walks out of the building. We get a few moments later where um, some Ring of Honor students eventually like run in and check out the scene of the crime. Some fans like actually tell them, like, hey, Super Dragon went out that door. They run after him. Nothing ever comes of this. Um I will say I am tempted to use this guy casually just looking at Super Dragon beating the crap out of Sugarfoot as the picture for this week's uh, this this uh, episode. I, I would expect I, like, I would expect nothing less. Yeah, anyone that watch that that just sees the picture and hasn't seen the episode yet will have no idea why that has been chosen as the picture. Well, but we've, we've, we've now done, you will you've know. done you've done similar things in the past. Um, of where, where, where a fan is the is the thumbnail for the show. You've definitely <laughs> done that before, so I, I I feel like there's precedent. Next, we join Nigel McGuinness, our peer champion backstage. He's back in the U.S. of A. after his tour of Noah, Noah where he Noah. That's what they called Noah when it was just starting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nigel says he went undefeated in Noah. He's still the pure wrestling champion, still the best pure wrestler in Ring of Honor. He calls Christopher Daniels a hell of a wrestler, but not a pure wrestler the likes of him. Tomorrow he'll be taking on that clam digger, Brian Danielson. Some people think the Ring of Honor world title is the more important belt, and he's going to prove them wrong by out-wrestling him tomorrow night. He says either by making him submit or pinning him one, two, three. Nigel says this is the world pure title, and he's the world's best wrestler. So 
Nigel back, and it's good to have Nigel back, Matt. Yeah, and I and I genu- generally like the direction there. You know the um, the uh, the whole you know Nigel wants to prove that he's the best wrestler um, instead of Danielson, and it leads to good stuff. So I'm on board with this promo, and I'm also happy to see him back. Yeah, and uh, moving on, we're going to uh, Delirious versus Jimmy Rave, who escorted the ring by Daisy Hayes. No Prince Nana, because I assume again they just down. want. <laughs> I assume they just wanted to save on trans, as often happens, you know. Um, this went to a 15-minute talent draw. Matt, I'm going to take this match, too, because I just – this match got me kind of riled up. And then I'll let you take the next two matches. I can't wait on trading off, like, two bigger matches so I can talk about a Delirious and Jimmy Rave 15-minute talent draw. But I'll say, um, first off, Dave Meltzer said the Observer – Jimmy Raven Delirious drew in a match that killed the crowd, which it's rare you see those kind of negative things in like the recaps from the Observer notes because obviously hard to argue most, with it though. Yeah, exactly. So I like Jimmy Rave. This is the kind of match that is why some people hated him. Like I, I, I feel like rewatching all of Jimmy Rave's work, I really have enjoyed a lot of it. it. And also, I feel like some of the stuff that I didn't appreciate when I was watching it when I was younger for the first time. I appreciate more. He does more subtle things. I appreciate that he's trying to be more of a, a heel that isn't going to get cheered. But I feel like the, there was always a, a strong contingent of Ring of Honor fans that really didn't like Jimmy Rave for, for legitimately. Like they thought he was kind of boring. I feel like this is the kind of match they think of. So first off, Rave starts the match with like two or three minutes of stalling. And I don't mind this. It's, it's part of his act. He does this fairly often at this point in his career. And I, I can enjoy some stalling, but by the end of this match, when you see how little has happened, the rest of the match, it, it kind of, that was kind of like the cherry on top, like looking back, like, and he started this way. And then we get to the rest of the match. So I would say for most of the opening 10 minutes, it's like most Jimmy rave matches. It makes perfect sense from a psychology standpoint. Like delirious has a bandage hand from that legit injury. We talked about, he suffered on the last show um, early on Daisy Hayes, grabs Delirious' hand, and he, she hits it against the ring post behind the ref's back, and that allows Rave to have a good reason to dominate him for the first two-thirds of this match, which are almost all him going after Delirious's hand, which, again, makes perfect psychological sense. Um, Delirious then makes a comeback around that 10-minute mark. They work a little back and forth, and then it ends in a time limit draw. So on paper, you go, hey, that, you know, that sounds like a good, solid, logical match. The problem is a match can make logical sense and still not be that entertaining. Like, there's probably a way to make six to seven minutes of hand stomps, hand submissions, and tearing at a bandage entertaining, but you don't see that in this match. You you see the boring version of that. And likewise, if it all built to a really super hot comeback in a final hot, hot final few minutes, I would feel like that would justify the slow first 10 minutes, but it doesn't. There are, like, there are a couple points, Matt, in this match where the crowd really starts chanting for Delirious, like rallying behind him with per- times that would have been perfect for him to start a comeback. And instead... They just keep going, and when Delirious finally does make his comeback, it happens in the most anticlimactic way, where he just kind of stands up while he's in a hold, he throws a couple headbutts to break the hold, and then he just starts doing his offense. And I feel like the art of comebacks are all are, are just two things. It's peaking the timing of where to start them, and then having the start of them being very exciting and dramatic. And this match from, you know, two guys, especially Jimmy Ray, that I think are pretty smart workers, they like completely whiffed on the timing and the start of the comeback. And then, you know, the rest of the match from there does have more action, but I would say not enough to redeem things. And then you have the end where um, Daisy Hayes slips a chair in the ring to distract the ref so she can go to the top rope. 
do a big splash to break Delirious's Cobra stretch on a rave, except they time it to the point where the ref, when the ref finally grabs the chair, he has to like super rush to turn away so that he's not at least looking at the giant like flying woman that's coming down inches from him and like pretending like, oh, I don't notice this giant crash. And then right after that, we get like a few seconds of selling. And then the bell rings and the ref acts like he's surprised that like, oh, this is a 15 minute time limit draw. And I just thought that it was such an anticlimactic point to end the match on. And it's sad because I like both these guys. Matt, I would say like this is one of the worst matches we've seen in Ring of Honor in a while, like low average at best. Like it's technically solid and logical, but really pretty goddamn gosh darn boring man. yeah i mean when we say bad like it's still with that that high quality of like you know the the technically sound and psychologically sound like so it's not like an actual bad match but yeah it's just boring as hell and you know I, i'm trying to you know wonder how much is the wrestler's fault and obviously you laid out you know some of the things the wrestlers could have done differently and how much is it like Maybe Gabe shouldn't have just booked this 15-minute time limit draw. I mean, I guess, you know, he just didn't want either guy to lose at this point. Yeah. Um, and knowing this wasn't the original match, like, these guys were both supposed to have other matches on the show, I have to assume it was just, like, yeah, like you just said, like, he probably just felt like, I don't want either guy to lose. But that's another thing, like, it's always so ar- arbitrary. Like, the only reason matches go to a 15— like, if you ask someone— why do some matches in Ring of Art go to a 15-minute time limit and some don't? And, of course, the answer to that is— Matches only go to a 15-minute talent when Gabe Sapolsky wants to book a draw. <laughs> like, that's the only reason. Yeah, like, it's I no mean, not consistent. I feel like, in retrospect, or I guess in hindsight, um, they should have just put Delirious over here. He was going to yeah. get a world title shot soon, and Jimmy Rave wasn't. He was going to get a tag title shot the next day, but this was a singles match. And I don't think it really would have hurt Rave to lose this match to a guy who was being built up for a title match. So I think that they should have just put Delirious over and had a shorter match. Um, but, you know, besides that, um, do you think this match would have done better if Nana had been there working the crowd? Um, I think, the, I mean, Dave talks about how this made the crowd die. I think at the very least that would have given the crowd, like, something to react to and maybe keep them more engaged. They probably still wouldn't have then been focusing on the match, but... Like sometimes we talk about sometimes with like really charismatic managers like Nana or um, Julius Smokes, like they can be so entertaining that they can sometimes distract from what's going on in the ring. This was like a match where they could have used that kind of performance. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was very funny was the crowd was clearly very bored by this match. But then at the end, there were still a bunch of people chanting for five more minutes. Which exactly. I wrote my notes after the match, a few fans chant five more minutes and I wrote, dear God, why? Yeah. <laughs> No, but it's just like this is a match where they had a game plan that did not match what the crowd wanted and they were not able to think on their feet or be fl- – or if they were, they chose not to. They were like, we're going to stick to the plan and we're going to be rigid about it and you know, it didn't work. And that brings us to the Ring of Honor pure title match. Nigel McGuinness defeats Christopher Daniels by countout in 20 minutes, 19 seconds. So, Matt, you know, Nigel's back. I believe this is the first time, at least in Ring of Honor match, I think, Daniels and McGinnis. And, uh, yeah, they get plenty of time here. Yeah, I mean, I liked the finish, even though it wasn't a, you know, it's sort of finish that I think you typically you don't like. But Nigel ended up turning that into a gimmick, the count, the count out finishes. 
and it you know it, it worked for him and i think it made the match interesting like it was pretty wild i'll get to it um but i do think the last match really did kill the crowd and that made this match come off a lot worse than it otherwise would have i think this is another match that was technically solid but not that entertaining comparatively or at least disappointing at the very least um because nigel i've really been enjoying him you know before he went away and this match and you know daniels i like sometimes don't like others um the way in his roh matches in this era but i yeah I, i don't think that this match really um really worked too well i you know they first of all you know, obviously, they, they start off with a very intense handshake. So I guess the gimmick now is Daniels just shakes hands all the time now. He's all in on the code of honor. No questions asked. Um, so I guess that's, uh, that's character development, I suppose. Um, but then some people in the crowd start a tea and crumpets chant at Nigel. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm trying to think, like, is that supposed to be an insult? Like, are they are supposed to be, like, insulting him by saying these are things that people in England eat? Because, you know... People everywhere like tea, and crumpets, crumpets are good. Yeah, crumpets are like what, like fruit cookies, right? Yeah, are they? Are they like okay? You know what? I've been exposed to because I'm not even 100 percent sure what crumpets are. Are they like more like like um like American style biscuits? Or are they more like British style biscuits? As you said, I'm gonna look it up. I think now. they're like, no, I think they're like little like okay. So I'm looking it up. <laughs> so this man, <laughs> all, we have a lot of listeners in the UK that will think of us as. Total idiots now, but uh, we are, so that works out. It's small griddle bread made from unsweetened batter or water, milk, flour, or yeast, and it looks like they'll put, like, either butter or fruit on them. I guess... I guess, they look a little bit like English muffins. Yeah, again, are they just what we call English muffins? Is that what crumpets are? And I didn't know that all along. I guess that is. Yeah. I guess I guess crumpets are just what we call in America English muffins. Wow, now huh. I feel extra stupid. Well, you've all learned something about me and Trevor and never tell anybody um, that we were that dumb. Um, but okay, so... On this podcast, listen to by too many people. Yeah, exactly. The next, the next wrestling show I'm at, we are going to... I'm going to... Well, I don't know about we. I don't know if I can get it going. But I'm going to chant English muffins because... And I'm it's gonna I'm gonna chant it at an American because that's what we call him here, and we'll see what happens. I, I looked up crumpets on Wikipedia, and it's as if it, even Wikipedia is mad at us because one of the first lines in Wikipedia is says that crumpets are popular in the United Kingdom, Canada, New Zealand, South Africa, and Australia. Canada's the second country listed. I didn't know what they are, so uh, I, I, I I'm embarrassed. I'm off the hook. Um, <laughs> or maybe Wikipedia is wrong. It would be the first time. That's true. I can, you, you know what? Somebody, I don't even somebody, know pranked, somebody pranked Wikipedia by adding Canada in that list. Um, All right. I but, also okay. I just got also say Google always does like the the questions based on your search thing. Two of the questions here are: um, Are crumpets good for you? And how do the British eat crumpets? Which for some reason those two questions make me laugh. The idea that people are like, uh, "Are crumpets good for you?" Like just go- I imagine you googling it's bread, that. Everybody, on your plate. it seems like it's basically bread. <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, where were we? Uh, Nigel McGuinness, I mean, Christopher Daniels. Yeah, okay, so um, 
So yeah, you know, they start slow as you do in these matches. They do the whole dealies with the rope breaks and, you know, Nigel, um, you know, Daniels gets Nigel in a wacky neck and arm hole with his leg over Nigel's neck and that causes him to use his first rope break. Um, then Nigel starts going after Daniel's sh- shoulder. He does a series of arm-based holds, um, but Daniel is able to reverse that into a half crab, and Nigel uses his second rope break. Um, uh, Nigel goes right back to the arm, though, and he actually gets on. Did you notice this, Trevor? That arm submission. And they don't call it. They don't they, call they, it. They finally given up on him on calling it, and he does it. Yes. So he does that arm submission. The, the crowd doesn't react to it, so obviously they don't remember it. Um, but I was happy to see it back. It's my favorite part of the match. That damn arm submission. It wasn't really my favorite part of the match, but I, I still like it. Nigel does the. I don't. Sorry. I don't buy. I was just gonna say I don't buy like wrestling shirts, let alone wrestling meme shirts. But I would buy if someone made a T-shirt that said that arm submission in the font of that '70s show. <laughs> I think I, I am legally obligated to buy it. At this point. It would have to have Nigel McGuinness's picture on it though, because I, I don't want it to be that vague. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um. But um. Yeah, uh, Nigel does the I have till five referee thing. So he was clearly more focused on the match the next night than this one. Um, he was like, this guy doesn't have an O end at the end of his last name. So this is not the match I'm focused on. <laughs> um, but um, also at one point, uh, Daniels does an STO, which I have now decided is Mike Tyson's favorite wrestling move. So... <laughs> Every time I see that, I'm going to mention that. Um, I'm going to say, STO, Mike Tyson's favorite mess wrestling move. Listen for it, everybody. Deep vein thrombozos. Because um, we're not going to talk about what crumpets are anymore after this. You'll just have to listen for that. We already know what crumpets are now. So um, I can confirm they are English muffins. Yes. I, I, it's official, folks. The picture, the picture told me so. Um, <laughs> I, I had to be – at this point, Matt, I'm doubting everything I know. So, yes. uh, um, but anyway, um, there was a really good counter to the headstand here, which is Nigel went for it. Daniels attacked Nigel and turned it into a Death Valley driver for what had been the best near fall of the match up to that point. And I think that's one of the best counters to the headstand I've ever seen. So I did appreciate that. Um, but Daniels gets uh, Nigel in, I guess, what a cobra clutch, basically. And Nigel uses that as his final rope break. Um, then he starts doing more of the impact stuff. Nigel does the the running European uppercut, rebound lariat, Tower of London, um, all that stuff. And eventually, Nigel, when he gets to the ropes, he's at a rope break, so he just clutches the ropes until both guys tumble out to the floor. And both guys are down on the floor as the ref counts, and Nigel stomps Daniels, or stops Daniels from getting back into the ring. They fight in the aisle. And then... Nigel throws Mary Kate, the photographer, into Daniels, which is the second time of the night that a male wrestler uses a woman to shield him from another male wrestler. But this time it was a non-wrestling, non-wrestler. It was the photographer threw her into Daniels to knock him down and then gets back in the ring just at the count of 20 to win. So that was a very dramatic finish to what had not been a particularly dramatic match. Um, Reading back my notes, the match sounds good. Like... I think they do a lot of good stuff, but it's just the pace, the crowd. It just didn't come off that well. I think it's, I still think it was a good match. I just think it wasn't any better than good. Like, just like a very, very basically good match. 
I completely agree. Uh, for me, this match was a big beneficiary of following the last match and really every match on the show before it because I think on another night, this would be a little bit disappointing from these two, especially Nigel, because I do agree this is just kind of like a standard, solid, like just good, nothing too special, but solidly good match. But on this show, especially following that last match, it's the best thing we've seen on this card so far. And in some ways, I would actually say this is kind of like a better version of the last match. It's like medium pace long, some big spots, but not as many as you'd expect. It tells a simple logical story where this match, both guys are working on one body part from on the other guy. And it's just more competently done. There's a little more color to it. Like the stuff you mentioned, like the Nigel stuff of aping Danielson, or there's a point where he like arrogantly celebrates a hold only for it to be immediately reversed. Like just those little moments between moves to help make a match less dry like it's nothing special but again it is it, it has some of those moments that the last match was missing um even just like the opening few minutes it's just them um doing a parade of really simple counters and reversals it wasn't revolutionary but to me it felt like what a pure title match should feel like which is like a technical battle you know where you're just like i'm gonna put you in a hold now you have to figure out a way to get out of it um and i also like the end i liked uh i liked the end where um Nigel's going for the Tower of London, and uh, Daniels gets him in the uh, Cobra Clutch a second time while he's sitting on the turnbuckle. And I, I like that because so often when a guy like, like Daniels had made Nigel use all his rope breaks so he could do it on the ropes, but so often when a guy makes his opponent in a pure match use all their rope breaks, they like it's really awkward where they basically like will put on a submission and then march the guy to the ropes where it comes off really weird. Like this came off really natural and organic with the flow of the match, especially since he had already done that move earlier in the match in the middle of the ring and been working over, um, I think Nigel's neck. So all that really, I really like that. And I like the ending because it's cheap. And I think you touched on like we've seen in endings like this before from Nigel, but it is kind of like a classic Nigel McGinnis, like, cheap i'm using the rules to my advantage and where he you know how often ring of honor do you see it counts really only in matches like this you know especially because most ring of honor matches don't have count out rules so yeah, uh right exactly that's why only in matches like that because there's no count outs in ring of honor otherwise but even in most pure matches before nigel like it's really just nigel yeah. occasionally pulls it out because it's it's a neat heelish way to kind of get a cheap win that's still technically in a way a clean win but uh yeah on on another show this might not have been like uh, this might have been a real disappointment but on this show like i will take a match of this quality at this point on the card but after the match the crowd chants this is bullshit so they were not happy with it uh, it's not, funny not the that they were, they were like excited they were like very positive five more minutes after that that last match but they were very negative on the finish of this one but i guess they're <laughs> supposed to be he was he is a heel so it is now intermission and Dave Prezak is backstage in a plaid button up shirt, not even a suit. So even Prezak is, is not get put on his a game on this show. Um, he's back there with Brian Danielson, uh, wherever they are, it's very dimly lit kind of going to what you said earlier, Matt, about how like they seem to always want to shoot something outside in Dayton. Probably the, these areas like this are why, um, Prezak tells Danielson that Nigel plans on winning their match tomorrow night, which is always kind of funny. Like, Yes, of course his opponent plans on winning, but um, Danielson says in a screamy short promo that the Brits talk a lot of crap. He's going to unify the belts this weekend and prove who the best really is, at which point Samoa Joe walks in. Uh, Joe tells Danielson he's not here to fight him, but tonight he's going to win the tag team championship and he's going to run CZW out of the building. And when that's all done, 
he's going to be coming back for what's his. So, I, you know, I, I like this promo segment, except I think it's extremely funny how badly they snub Jimmy Yang in this promo. Like they don't even mention. I think I think Daniels Daniels Danielson mentions him for like a second. He's like, after I beat Jimmy Yang tomorrow night, like you know, like that's it. That's the only mention of Jimmy Yang. Like they don't like he just focuses right to tomorrow night. He barely he doesn't even bother cutting a promo on his opponent on this show. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes you hear about like promos or even like in the world of real fighting where they're like, oh, you're cutting a promo on your next fight when you haven't even done this fight yet. Danielson technically in this segment is cutting promos like on his on his next two major opponents, you know, like they're building up Joe and Nigel more than Yang. But if they wanted you know. to remedy this problem, they could have just done this promo after the Yang match and then it would have made sense. Or not book Brian Danielson versus Jimmy Yang. <laughs> we'll get to that. You know, um, sure. We then get an ad for FIP Heatstroke 2005 Night 2, so continually being almost a year behind on their FIP releases. Then we get a match that did not make the show, which is kind of interesting because this show came a little bit in under three hours. And as we'll see, like on the last show and on the next show, like Ring of Honor was now at the point where they could go like 318 or something on DVD. So they probably could have included this, but Flash Flanagan defeated Apocalypse and, uh, yeah, well, I we'll see Apocalypse, you know, coming up on the on the show proper. But I feel bad for Flash Flanagan because I feel like so often he gets booked in matches that either don't make the shows, like the, the DVD releases, or they're just like very short spot duty. Like people can say, "Oh, he has such potential," but like in Ring of Honor, it seems like he never really got a huge shot. But either way. Matt, we get our Ring of Honor world title match. Brian Danielson successfully defends the title when he defeats Jimmy Yang via ref stoppage in 20 minutes, 12 seconds, when he made him pass out in the cross-face chicken wing. Uh, Dave Meltzer wrote in The Observer, Brian Danielson retained the Ring of Honor title, beating Jimmy Yang with a chicken wing in what was said to be Yang's best match ever in Ring of Honor. So, Matt, what do you think about the match? And as someone that has recently rewatched every match he had in Ring of Honor before this, would you agree that this is his best match? Because I would say, you know, he had the Gibson match. He had the strong matches. How do you think this stacks up? If this is his best match, it's, I would say, barely. You know, it didn't stand out. I was like, oh, wow. You know, I would say this is probably Danielson's worst title defense. And, you know, that, I mean, at least of the major title defenses. You know, I know he had that match like with Azriel, where it was basically a squash and stuff like that. You know, I don't really... I mean, I feel like the Xavier match was all right. It was shorter. Um, This match was, you know, full-length title match. And it wasn't... I mean, it was good. It was a good match. Brian Danielson, you know? It was a good match. But, like, it's just not on the level you expect from him. You know, I think the crowd wasn't so invested. I think it's part of it. Um, You know, Jimmy Yang, it was impossible to buy him as a threat to the title. They just hadn't built him up that way at all. You know, but... You know, Danielson got to do his stuff. I, you know, I watched this match on Thanksgiving and at, right at the beginning of the match when someone in the crowd yelled, yeah, Jimmy, for a second, I thought they yelled Thanksgiving. And I was like, <laughs> why, would, why would he yell that in April? That's surprising. But, you know, hey, you know what? Maybe it was Thanksgiving. Maybe that is what he said. <laughs> it's, it's possible. Um but yeah, I'm going to yell English muffins and Thanksgiving at the next wrestling show. I'm not just see, see what happens. Um, but, um, it's, it's funny. <laughs> Another thing that I enjoyed on his entrance, uh, Danielson just looks at the camera and goes, you see this belt, you see this belt. And then I thought he was going to like say something about it, but he just doesn't. <laughs> he just goes, 
you see this belt? You see this belt? And then he just keeps walking. It's like, yeah, I mean, I do, I do, I did see the belt. So, um, so that, that was, uh, those are two, uh, two things that really set the mood for the match in a, in a positive way. Um, Danielson at this point is always doing the thing where he tells the, um, the ring announcer to give him a special intro. So this time it was the best wrestler these pricks have ever seen, which, um, could be true. You know, it's possible. Um, but, you know, they start out with Yang kind of getting um, some surprising offense on Danielson, kind of having Danielson's number a little bit, not really allowing Danielson to do the kind of slow start because he gets a really quick roll-up on him, then another really quick roll-up, and Danielson kind of uh, runs to the outside, tries to stall, kicks the guardrail in frustration. Um, at one point during this, Prezak says, this is Yang's chance to become the James Gibson of 2006 and win the title. And, you know, it just made me think that's the fact that they're still doing that. So unfair to Jimmy Yang, you know, like he was always in Gibson's shadow the entire mm-hmm. ROH run. And the fact that they're still like, oh, he's going to be the James Gibson of 2006, like months after he showed up. Yeah, I, I, I'd be I'd have been pretty annoyed if I was Jimmy Yang, honestly. I felt. I felt a similar thing with they keep saying like you know it's it, Jimmy Yang's now going to get to show what he can do free of the shackles of sport like they keep saying stuff like free of the shackles of sport and enter, entertainment and I feel like that almost turns into a put down when you're saying it after he's had this many matches like you're still acting like he's about to show what he can do like it's kind of an acknowledgement like yeah I he mean, hasn't really been that great <laughs> yeah I mean this is just obviously the style that Jimmy Yang works like it's not like there's yeah. some some secret stuff there that he's not busting out danielson again does the regal can't lace my boots line which you know is always fun because he's actually wearing regal's boots um but you know or or at least he's wearing his trunks i don't know i guess for him to be wearing his boots they'd have to have the same size feet which mm-hmm. maybe maybe they do i don't know but regal's a much bigger guy than danielson so would would be surprising but yeah, i guess you never know um but um either way it's still relevant because regal and danielson are doing stuff on tv still to this day as we record this they're still involved in wrestling segments together um but um yeah so finally danielson gets the better of yang by head scissoring head scissoring head scissoring him and doing his wacky arm bends and he starts messing with Yang and baiting him into ground and pound so he can escape out and get the chicken wing on and Yang's making the ropes and they, they have some strike exchanges and Danielson wins that with an eye poke and that's when Danielson kind of gets to slow it down, do his own thing, whips Yang into the guardrail into the crowd, does a fireman's carry drop over the guardrail, starts tying up Yang's legs um, gets the surfboard on, you know, his his usual stuff Yang has a couple pretty decent comebacks. Hits a super kick, and both guys fall down. Hits a, a flurry of forearms, a spin kick, while Danielson jumps off the middle ropes. Um, he looks like he's going to do some sort of cartwheel, space flying tiger drop, drop, space flying tiger drop style thing. But he like stops. I guess he decided that his momentum wasn't right. So that looked kind of bad, but he, he, he recovered okay. Um, you know, he did a drop kick through the ropes, then did a corkscrew, corkscrew press off the apron. Um, so a decent recovery, but that was a very, very conspicuous, um, I guess, I guess botch would botch be the right word because he doesn't really like do the move and mess up. He just kind of changes his mind mid setup. Yeah. It, it, it's weird. 
it's weird you don't see that too often in wrestling, right? Because usually moves like they're so sudden. It's it's weird that you have where a wrestler even has a chance to be like start something and then be like, yeah, I'm not feeling it. But like it, the space flying tire is like one of the only moves where you could because you get this huge running start. But like I've never seen like it'd be funny if someone did like the backspring hat, ba- the handspring back elbow from like corner to corner, and then halfway through they're just like, you know what, this isn't going to look good, and they just like stop. Like, yeah, I would love to see more examples of this. Yeah, exactly. But you know, it definitely was awkward. Um, then they kind of go uh, more toward the uh, the finishing sequence at that point. Uh, Yang misses Yang time. Danielson gets the cattle mutilation in. Yang gets his feet on the bottom rope. Danielson hits a really nice version of the belly to back superplex for two. Um, covers again and gets another two count. Yang gets another roll up, but Danielson follows that with a big clothesline that Yang does a flip bump on uh he goes for a second belly to back superplex and they end up with yang doing a not so pretty neck breaker off the top rope um and yang gets a two count off that they get into another forearm exchange danielson ducks the kick hits a roaring forearm yang goes to the top rope danielson crotches him grabs a chicken wing and pulls him off the top rope which yang turns into a pinning combo but danielson sticks with the hold and yang's arm drops three times and danielson wins so, you know, it's another match where it's good. Definitely, you know, Danielson's very good. He puts these matches together really well. But there were a couple of awkward spots and just didn't really have the intensity that I'm looking for. Um, so I didn't really love it. I thought it was just just okay. Or not, I mean, better than okay. I thought it was just good. And with Danielson, good is the same as being just okay as far as I'm concerned during this era. Yeah, you said something right at the start that I think kind of echoes my thoughts, which is you said – you know, I asked you, do you think this is um Yang's best ROH match? If you agree with like that live report to the Observer, and you were like, well, if it is, it's not by much. But you also said, I think this is Danielson's worst title defense so far, and I would agree because I think I started off my notes for this match by saying, this is what I expected going in, which is it's a match that is on the low, it's the low end of Danielson's title defenses and the high end of Yang's Ring of Honor matches, which like simultaneously, which I guess kind of tells you how good Danielson is and how kind of middling Yang has been. And I, but I would agree. It's like high good, which is good for Yang at Ring of Honor. It's just, like you said, it, it's kind of disappointing for um, uh, Danielson. I would say this is, you know, the best match on this show so far still. Maybe not by a ton, but I would say it's better than the match we just saw before it, which would have been the prior best match. Uh, what, what, watching this match, I, I it, it, um, it reminded me, uh, probably the match we might have put as like the worst Danielson title defense before this match, which is the one against Chris Saban, or that'd be at least near the bottom. And I think I said during that match when we covered that one, that felt like it was a good match, but it felt like a match Danielson could have had with anybody. Like it didn't really have a lot of unique personality to it. And this match to me had a similar vibes where, yeah, Yang does some unique offense that you see from him regularly, but this is a Danielson led match where at times I felt like you could outright see him spoon feeding Yang the match. Like there was one moment where I actually heard him telling Yang like the next sequence of moves and it has that kind of flow of like two or three moves for Danielson, one move for Yang, you, you know, you do something now, Yang, and then I'll take it back and tell you what to do next. And, and it really felt, you know, and, and, you know, this was, you know, Yang's time to shine and he didn't really show a lot of personality. Like he did what he was, was that, supposed was that, to Was do. that pun intended? Yang's time to shine. <laughs> no, I, I wish it was. But, um, because his move is Yang time, everybody, in case you didn't get it. Yeah, that. The, the, this match doesn't really have an identity beyond generic good 2006 Brian Danielson match when you compare it to like 
the strong Danielson matches have like their own kind of vibe. You know, even the delirious Danielson match we just saw in the last show had a very much its own kind of vibe. This just feels like a, 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 a kind of a blank template that Danielson could put a lot of people into. Um, I will say I've frequently criticized the Yang always does the big wild spin roundhouse kick that he shoehorns off and awkwardly into every match he has. I felt like he did the two best ones of those I've ever seen in this match. Both times it looked like he caught Danielson right in the side of the head. They looked great. I have no idea if they were safe or not, but I mean, they looked great and Danielson didn't seem to be hurt. So I'll give credit to him for there. And um, yeah, so good, but disappointing. I also, okay, this is the highlight of the match. This will tell you that the match wasn't that good. Um, a fan at some point, I don't know if you heard this, Matt, yells, get your hands, no, no, he yells, get your hands off my Yang at Danielson. And not only does that get laughs from the crowd, the crowd ends up breaking into a round of applause for that fan. And I just felt like, okay, that was probably a great time for that fan, but boy, the bar was low on this show. Like, like the crowd actually gives this guy a round of applause for saying, get your hands off my Yang. But that doesn't even make sense. (laughs) You know, it's like Wang. Yeah, right, you know. but it's not. It's Yang. <laughs> Matt, on this show, the fans were taking whatever they could get. Uh, I also felt a little bit... Tea and, I tea and like crumpets, the- Thanksgiving, get your hands off my Yang. Those are the, the big three chants of the show. Also, five more minutes for a match we hated. <laughs> <laughs> so, I would love to talk to Yang without... Hopefully, I couldn't ask this without probably offending him, but I would love to know his mindset during his Ring of Honor run, because... He has to be better than this elsewhere. I, I would need to rewatch Yang. I know I've said that a few times before, but like, I don't know if he's mailing it. In. I don't always feel that way. Some people but, are just not good fits for a certain style. That's all. He's very talented. It's just this wasn't his cup of tea. And, and why I say that is because at one point in commentary, Prezek points out that Yang wore his white coat for this entrance, and he says Yang only uses that jacket for special occasions like when he worked WrestleMania 20 or when he debuted in Ring of Honor. So clearly in that sense, if he has like a special jacket, he uses only for like matches that are really meaningful to him. You would think he'd be just going out guns a And Again, he does not look bad in this match, but you would have never get the idea like – that this is the kind of match where it's like, I got to break out. Like, this is a special night for me. I'm breaking out the good stuff. Like, it doesn't feel like that, which, again, I, I would just love to know his kind of mindset. Like, was he really feeling that way about a match like this? And just, like you said, it didn't click. Like, like it, that. that's honestly is the most interesting part about Jimmy Yang and Ring of Honor to me is, is that kind of stuff. But um, that brings us to the Ring of Honor tag team title match, our semi-main event. Generation Next of Austin Aries and Roderick Strong defeated Matt Seidel and Samoa Joe in 24 minutes, 41 seconds, when Aries pinned Seidel after hitting the 450. So this becomes the new best match on the show so far. I thought this was a low, very good, clearly also the crowd's favorite match on the show so far. They were pretty darn into it by the end, chanting, this was, that was awesome, and ROH after it was over even. Still, I thought I'm maybe I'm just having a bit of a milestone series hangover, or maybe I'm in a grumpy mood because of uh, my computer being broken for half an hour and the hearing a possible murder across the hallway. But um, I thought this was like another match on the show, which I could say about so many matches that was like a half to a full step lesser than the same match might have had on a larger show. Like 
This is a very typical strong Ares tag, which means it's packed with moves and action from bell to bell, certainly way more than anything else on the show thus far. It's just a hair more casual and slow in the body of it than you'd expect from these guys. And, you know, it's a very standard structure. We get an extended period where Ares gets beat down, and then an extended period of time where Seidel is beat down. Everyone looks good apart from a couple minor whiffs. It's a match that's hard for me to find to find detailed things to say about like it it doesn't underachieve i would say it comes in in like the lower half of where i'd expect this match to be in it's a very even the story feels like b show in the sense that it's continuing and rehashing stories we've seen elsewhere in like more exciting or fresher contexts like it's the joe is trying to win the tag team title storyline which they had kind of given up on and they're bringing back for this one night. It's the Seidel's trying to find different partners to beat his own stablemates for the tag team title storyline. It's in a way Joe's just, you know, it's even echoing the, the Seidel's in the Samoa Joe role that Joe was in, in the Briscoe's feud in like years earlier, where he's just trying to match up opponent after um, partner, after dream partner, after dream partner to win those titles. And, you know, it's, 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 it's good. It's, it's very good. It's just, I could see on like a WrestleMania weekend show, these guys turning it up just a little bit more and this being like outright, like really great. I feel like this is probably the first match on the show where I liked what feels like a significant amount more than you. Like I also wouldn't say this was a absolutely great match, but you said it's a low, very good. And I think it's a, a very high, very good. Like it's about as close to great as I would say you can get for me without me saying like this was a, a truly great match. Um, I think, you know, so I wasn't disappointed with it at all at all. Like I feel like it, it, it delivered what I wanted from it. It, first of all, it was definitely, it definitely was on another gear than every other match on the show so far. You know, they, yeah. they, 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 there was more pop to what they were doing. It was faster paced, you know, they, they were, they were, they were, they seemed to be like trying to put out more, like just like really show more to the, to the audience. Not, there wasn't really, to me, a, um, a sense that they were holding back so much. I mean, Joe a little bit, because I think, I mean, I feel like this is the show where we can officially say, all right, he is not putting his full effort into ROH and, you know, not blaming him, but he's not. You know, like the, the 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 100th show, I feel like he was as close as you could really ask for. Um, but after this, it really happens only a couple times, and certainly not in these like big spot or brawling matches. You know, um, mm-hmm. like obviously he goes an hour against Danielson at one point. He uh, he has a big match with um, Morishima the next year, but you know, like Joe really lets Seidel work most of the match here. And here's the thing about that. I think that what Joe did in this match is really, really good. Like, he looked good. Like, I'm not saying he was, like, lazy in what he did. He just really hung back for a lot of it. I really enjoyed watching Joe in this match. I think that him and Strong had had good exchanges. I, I liked the, 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 the stuff he was doing with, like, avoiding Strong's chops, blocking Ares, side headlock takeover. You know, I liked the, the, the fun segment where Ares was going for a leapfrog and Joe caught him and slammed him down. Like, I think Joe looked really, really good in everything that he did. He just let Seidel, I think, have more of the match than he would have in prior era. Which is funny because I feel like Seidel just had that same relationship with AJ Styles. 
of like yeah. a guy kind of taking a half step back because he's t- in TNA. He's letting Seidel have a lot of their tag matches, and you know he's not bad, but he's definitely yeah. Both guys are definitely like picking their spots more and more. Yeah, and so Seidel did work most of the match, and I think he did a really good job. Like there were a couple of of awkward spots, so I think that was one of the things that kept the match from being truly great for me. Um, but I, I enjoyed the the hot like there was a se- there was a sequence where Seidel and Joe were working on Aries and Strong came back with a good hot tag then there was a segment where Generation Next or I guess they're all Generation Next but uh, Aries and Strong are working on Seidel and Joe gets a good hot tag you know runs wild with his boot and his senton and his power slam and all that stuff I like the the near falls at the end you know, Seidel going for that leaping Rana on Strong off the top rope and Strong blocking it and doing the sick kick off the middle rope. And Seidel just takes this crazy bump on his neck, um, which allows Aries to get a good near fall there. And, you know, just a lot of fun stuff. Like, there was another really good um, near fall where um, Aries leaps, in the t- leaps off the top rope to Seidel, but Joe catches him with a cutter and Seidel hits a standing moonsault. And the crowd totally bought that near fall. Like, they pop big for it, um, which I like. Also, um, you know, um, Aries roaring forearming Joe while he's going for the muscle buster on Strong and Strong hitting the the double knees on Joe and Aries following that with the heat-seeking missile. And then, you know, Strong hits two half-neck breakers on Seidel, which I think is a, you know, shows him a good amount of respect to do that twice to, to put him down. And then Aries hits the 450 right on Seidel's face, by the way to get the win. Um, the crowd loved this. I had a really good time watching it. I think this was, this just, this took the show to a level that it had not been. Cause I feel like up to this point, this was the most boring ROH show that I've watched in. I can't even tell you how long. Yeah. A really, really, really long time. And I think this match, you know, it just, it just took it up, uh, several notches. Uh, and I think it, it really needed that. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And again, like I said earlier, to its credit, they got the crowd like back in, you know, if, if the crowd was kind of lost for a bunch of the undercard, you know, by the end of the, of this match, they were, they were fully invested to the more than they were for anything else on the show so far. Uh, it was a you mentioned uh, Seidel catching the 450 on his face late. It was kind of a bad night for poor Seidel has been getting beat up lately. Um, Strong does a standing moonsault, moonsault to Seidel and he catches him right in his, in the head with his leg. And I feel like we were shocked a few shows ago when Strong uh, did the standing moonsault, like he whipped that out. And then like, I feel like we've seen him do it, I think at least like twice more since then. And, And I feel like, we're seeing why he doesn't do it because like it's impressive because you don't expect Roderick Strong to do a standing moonsault, but it's really not graceful at all. <laughs> and, like I don't think he has great body control on it, but it feels like once he started doing it once, he's like, yeah, you know, people like this and I'm going to keep doing this. But if I was Seidel, I would have been like, man, maybe you don't need to do the standing moonsault anymore. Maybe you stick with the backbreakers. And then also there was a cute little moment during the match where uh, Strong does a backbreaker and I guess Aries felt like Strong didn't get enough, so he kind of sticks up for Roddy. Roddy, he turns to the crowd, and he goes, "That's a backbreaker, people! Show some applause!" Which, <laughs> like, I like that he was almost like bullying the crowd to like applaud, like you know, that's what you came to see—the backbreaker. But um, after the match, 
everyone leaves the ring except Joe, who grabs the mic and says he's always had one rule when it comes to Dayton, which is where whenever he's here, he better beat the hell out of somebody. He says it didn't happen tonight with two of the toughest sons of bitches in Roddy and Double A. So I don't know if, I don't know if that's the first guy that's called him Double A. Um, Joe yeah, says he would go by A Double, right? Later on. Uh, yeah, like yeah, because Double so A is Arn Anderson, so that was exactly, a respectful yeah. thing to do. Yeah. Um, Joe says he'll be damned if he leaves this ring unsatisfied. Joe says one week ago, shots were fired on his team, and he's calling CZW out here to have themselves a fight. Necro Butcher jumps over the guardrail. The two start brawling, and then the bell rings as other CZW wrestlers rush in to join him, and we get our eight-man tag team street fight main event of Team CZW of Claudio Castagnoli, Nate Webb debuting in Ring of Honor in a match, Necro Butcher, and Super Dragon. They defeat Team Ring of Honor of Ace Steel, Adam Pierce, BJ Whitmer, and Colt Cabana in 1937 when Claudio pins Whitmer after he hits him with a muscle buster. So if you're wondering, wasn't Samoa Joe? That setup you just read, Trevor, sounds like Joe's in the match. Well, Joe brawls for a few minutes, and then he uh, brawls, I believe, with Claudio to the back, and Claudio comes back out. And we never see Samoa Joe again. So they just write him out of the of the match that way so he doesn't have to work two matches in a night. But uh Matt, this is the main event, obviously trying to evoke, I would say, a lot of the same vibes of the great main event we saw on the last show, which was another CCW Ring of Honor street fight. Uh what do you think about this one? Well, first of all, I just want to mention so like how like the the evolution of this match, like as 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 it happens. So at the beginning of the match, like you said, uh, Joe calls out CZW. Necro Butcher comes out, you know, immediately starts brawling with Joe. Then Nate Webb and Super Dragon appear, and then, um, and then Steel and Cabana come out. So at first it's like three on three: Necro, Webb, and Super Dragon against Joe, Steel, and Cabana. And then, like you said, pretty much immediately, um, Joe and Necro brawl to the back. And what you see is for a very split second, it looks like Claudio is trying to tie up Samoa Joe, and then they cut away instantly. Like they yeah. they never show what happens and they never show it again and at that point it's um it's Webb and Super Dragon against um against Steel and Cabana but then Claudio and Necro come back to the ring so it's four on two and then Whitmer makes his way out in a neck brace he comes out and starts fighting and then they take off Whitmer's neck brace like Claudio rips it off and then Adam Pierce comes out so it becomes four on four so. Uh, so that's how the match really progresses. So in some ways, I found this match very, very entertaining, a lot of fun, easy to watch. Um, there were so many logical leaps in this match <laughs> that made it very hard for me to overlook them. Um, first thing being, BJ Whitmer, um, the idea is he had a broken neck. He got yeah, it the week for before. For those wondering, the, the, the announcers keep saying broken neck, broken, like, like literally. Broken yeah. neck a week before because he took a psycho driver through the table in the previous match. So he comes out in like a hard neck brace and they rip it off immediately. And then he just wrestles. He just fights like he always would. <laughs> does everything he would have. Um, <laughs> you know, he just has a normal, a normal brawling match with the other guys with his supposedly broken neck. He just – just brawls with it and they keep saying oh but he's doing uh, you know but he's taking a risk with his broken neck it's like he broke his neck a week earlier and he's doing all this like i know that kurt angle won olympic gold with a broken freaking neck but had he i mean had he taken a psycho driver 
through the table a week earlier and then won the Olympic gold? I don't know. And is BJ Whitmer Kurt Angle? I don't know. Um, so that was very conspicuous. The other thing that I thought was ridiculous was, okay, so the story is they tied up Samoa Joe. felt like there were a lot of people in that backstage area. Someone couldn't have come and untied him. Like, he was, he was tied up right out, like, it was basically the gorilla position, like, right through the ropes, I'm right through the entrance, and he was there for, like, 20 minutes, because the match <laughs> kept going, and, like, he was probably just sitting there being like, uh, little help, anybody? Can anybody untie me, please? Can anybody please untie me? Um, the other thing that happens is, Adam Pierce disappears for a really, really long time. And the only thing you see before that is that Adam Pierce gave Nate Webb a pile driver on the entrance ramp. Why would that lead to Adam Pierce disappearing? I don't, I don't understand. Like, do you remember Adam Pierce taking a big move that would have led to him being taken out of the match for a very long time? I mean, obviously, with a match like this, everyone's brawling simultaneously everywhere. It could have been something they just did not show. Like, but... they just, like, they just did not get a camera on him? Is that yeah. I guess I, mean, that, I, mean, I guess that's possible. I mean, that's I guess that's probably actually the most likely scenario. But that's kind of um, bad presentation too to just have to just have like so you know the cameras to the point where like you just lose out on multiple people in the match for a long period of time, even though they're there. That's not really good coverage, right? Um, so mm-hmm. I don't know whose fault it is, but someone's fault. Um, but all that aside, I did think the match was pretty entertaining. Like it kept moving. You know, it wasn't quite as good as the one the week before, obviously, but, like, it was a fun, exciting brawl. Um, you know, you had Necro with Colt putting his, sandwiching him, his head between two sections of guardrail um, repeatedly. I thought that was pretty creative. At one point, BJ Whitmer does the machine gun chops to Claudio, obviously in a tribute to Eddie Kingston, right? Um <laughs> <laughs> Um, the king of strong, uh, the king of King's Road, Eddie King. Yes, exactly. Um, a lot of a lot of the word king in that. Um, you know, the, I also enjoyed that the fact that there was a bunch of crowd fights in the in the show, like not fights among fans, but like brawls in the crowd, and everything was well lit. You could see all of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they turned the house lights on or if they just did a good job of lighting this building, but did, that's did crazy for our age. I was just going to say, I didn't see this. The Observer wrote, fans started throwing things in this high-emotion feud. I didn't see the fans throw anything, but maybe, again, that was just something they never filmed? Well, 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 okay, so listen. There was a spot that I am really want to know what was going on there. There was a spot where there was a spot where Colt and Necro were brawling in the crowd, and Colt is standing with, like, a fan, and the fan has a chair, and Colt tells the guy to throw a chair at Necro. And then, like, the guy throws a chair, and, like, falls down like Colt almost like shoves him at Necro and the guy falls down. He shoves him. And then Colt picks him up and starts yelling at him. And they cut away immediately and I'm like, what the fuck happened there? I have no idea what was really going on there. But it was a bizarre clip. Like I I, I don't know what was going on. But did you notice that Colt was like yelling at the guy for a second? Like like like, like uh, for a second I felt like, oh, was that an accident? And then once I see the aftermath and I rewatch, I was like, no, like uh, he really purposely shoved that guy. And I don't know why, because at first but- it was like he was doing the typical wrestler fan interaction where you're like, hey, I'll give you an item and you you hit the bad guy with it, right? And then he shoves him and gets mad at him. The thing that's really confusing is if Colt was doing something he wasn't supposed to do, why would they put it on the DVD? You could just edit that clip out. Like, you don't have to show it. Am I crazy? You know what? Maybe this is what CM Punk saw and 
maybe this is let's, let's just the not go there trevor <laughs> don't want anybody mad at me okay. we already joked about people yelling next door to your apartment it's just too too <laughs> problematic for one episode okay. trevor um, I don't want to be canceled. But no, um, but but no, I, I'm sure like, you know, we've heard before when there have been weird like fan incidents like that. Stuff usually makes it to the newsletters and, or like PW Insider. I didn't hear anything like that. So it couldn't have been that bad if they were going to sh- if they showed it, you know, like that. That's that's the, the thing that I, I hold in my my brain as far as like what, how to make sense of that. But, you know, so the match keeps going. They BJ and, and Super Dragon, you know, have another exchange. BJ hits an exploder. Um, which is the fu- the funniest broken neck angle ever. <laughs> like, they're, they're selling this a week later. Um, they 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 do this thing where so in the week before they did a spot where um, Super Dragon put BJ's head like through like the bottom of a, a of a folding chair while it was set up and then j- jumped off the top rope with a double stomp onto BJ's head on the chair. So they they tease that a couple times and BJ fights out of it. Until eventually, late in the match, Claudio gets BJ in like a pendulum move, and Super Dragon goes back up. Um, Colt interferes, and Super Dragon basically falls off the top rope, and then but he gets back up, and then he hits the the pendulum thing. I mean, hits the the top hits the top rope uh, double stomp while Claudio has BJ in the pendulum thing, and at that point, um, BJ is limp, so Claudio puts him on the top rope, does the muscle buster, gets the pin. Joe is still apparently not untied because he doesn't even come out during the post-show <laughs> angle where people are, you know, checking in on BJ. Um, but yeah, so that that's the match. I I thought it was pretty entertaining chaos. I enjoyed it. it but you have to turn off your brain because there's just so much weird stuff about it. Um, but no, I can't deny that it was very watchable and exciting. I, I, I had a good time watching the match. Yeah, I thought this was very good, but certainly not on the level of the, of the last show. You know, it, was, it felt like a, a little bit like a step lesser rehash as kind of the theme of this show of a match we've seen before. But it, it was very good, and it hit a lot of the same notes with, you know, stuff going on all over the place, but all generally well lit. You know, the camera cutting so often that you never really have a chance to get bored. A few big bumps, a big, you know highlight super dragon bj whitmer bump right near the end of the match um i I felt a little bad for nate webb because i know we know nate webb has made comments in recent years about feeling resentful that like he didn't get more of a shot for ring of honor after he like sacrificed quite a bit in his involvement ccw physically and you definitely see that here like this is his first match in ring of honor and um Pierce pile drives him on the entrance ramp and he takes like a scary spot where he gets backdropped over the top rope to the floor onto all of the CZW guys that look kind of scary. Like, so he's going for it like already, like he's clearly working his butt off trying to get noticed here. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it just felt, you know, you know what it kind of felt like to me was, um, when we saw the famous, uh, ring of honor fake riot or, real right if you really still believe that but uh you know and you know whatever you want to say about that that was got a lot of people talking it was unique and interesting for its time and then we saw them do it two more times in different cities like the exact same thing and it wasn't as good and it was like um it just felt like oh every major market needs to get to see this in person this like it was not nearly it was this was actually good as opposed to the second and third fake riots which were not good at all but like this felt like the same thing as like well 
other towns need to get to see the big CZW Ring of Honor brawl now. And so, like, this was, like, the B-show version, which was still pretty good. But And, I, and it did add two things in that it got other people involved that you would want it to be involved. I mean, Ace Steel, Nate Webb, they stick with this angle until the end. So I yeah. think that that was an addition that this match gave the angle. But they also take away things like you don't really get much of Joe here. And it's funny, like they even try and kind of do the commentary thing. Like we, we talked about, we didn't like no, it on no, the last no show. No Chris Hero either, obviously. Yeah. He had prior commitments. But like it's funny where the last show they did the no commentary for the main event, which Ring of Honor only does for really huge matches. And then we agreed that that was kind of not a, that was not the kind of the match to do it on because they could have used a lot of exposition from the announcers on the backstory. But on this match, they kind of try and do it halfway where during the whole first two or three minutes, that's Joe is involved. No commentary. Then when Joe goes to the back, we get commentary for a few minutes. Then they're like, Oh, let's get out of here. You know, when the, this is going to the crowd. Then after a few more minutes, when they start to come back to the ring, oh, let's commentate the rest of the match. So it was like this really weird on-off, on-off thing they did with the commentary even, where it was like they kind of wanted to do what they did on the last show, but they kind of didn't want to do it. They didn't want to give you the whole no commentary at all treatment. Um, and yeah, the the one thing that you, you already mentioned it that kind of distracted me was just – Ring of Honor usually doesn't go this huge into the hyperbole, but the idea of selling over, and I realize wrestling, it's part of wrestling is people overcoming impossible odds and they need, it needs to be larger than life, but it just was way beyond the pale to the point of being intelligence insulting to keep having the announcers over and over again. Like he has a broken neck, especially when they're crying out, like when he's taking the big bumps at the end, it's like, he was wrestling the whole match and not selling the neck. And I realized, yeah, yeah. Let's say, if, ma- you, if you want to say the guys needs to overcome the odds, they need to like sell the odds, like yeah. you know. I realize this is the kind of match where you know you really don't have a chance to do a lot of selling, maybe. But it's still, it's like knowing also that he's going to come back and wrestle again the very next night. It's just, I just yeah, felt yeah you, like- can't, you can't do you can't do a big like stretcher angle like they did on this show and then have the guy just like win a big brawl the next night like you can't do that like that's 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 wrestling malpractice and again it goes back to the b-show thing we'll get to in just a second the stretcher angle it's literally them redoing even that part of the main event on the last show because that show ended with bj whitmer taking a huge spot and needing help you know and they're redoing it literally they're basically redoing a lot of elements of the last match even though like you said there were a few new wrinkles but um after the match, the CCW wrestlers leave through the crowd. Ace Steel gets on the house mic and he says, CCW's pussy asses didn't win shit. He demands they come back and fight. They don't. Uh, the Ring of Honor wrestlers and students and Ring of Honor students crowd around Whitmer with even a rare Gabe Sapolsky appearance. Well, you know, when they're really trying to sell an angle that's serious, you know, they put Gabe out there because those who know will be like, oh, shit, it's Gabe. Um, they put the neck brace back on Whitmer as announcer Bobby Cruz asks the crowd to leave. For the second straight show, Whitmer's taken out on a table. They don't have a real stretcher for him. Well, then this uh, is even more of a replication of the uh, Daniels uh, battle lines are drawn angle where they they have him taken out on the table. Only with that one, it's like they, they act like he's there for like 45 minutes and they're like 10 minutes later, 10 minutes later. This time they do it all in real time and it's quick at least. Well, see, it's funny because it felt like they showed this for a long time, at least more than I expected. And it, it, it's funny because there's at one point, you know, BJ's selling. But I think if there's one point where they're carrying him out of the ring on the table, I couldn't quite make it out. But you can hear BJ saying something like, like if you do that, I'll fall or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. no, yeah, basically, yeah, he is. He's telling them not to let him fall off the table. Yeah. <laughs> 
I just felt like I just felt bad for him. Like weird thing. But um so um ACL says his wish is for somebody in CZW to die, not just until they're stretchered out, but laid out until an ambulance picks them up. He says, piss on them all. And then Adam Pierce says, second place is just the first loser. This has happened two times. There will not be a third time. And so, uh, yeah, uh, the Observer writes, they tried to make it a panic scene like this wasn't planned and started telling fans to leave the building and that Whitmer was seriously hurt. Security told everyone to leave the arena. And then when fans were milling around the front of the building, they told fans to leave there. So, <laughs> that's how far they went. Like, you can't even stand in front of the building. Like, the ambulance is going to be coming. Like, it, it's crazy how they went to such lengths for this angle when, when it was so clear to anyone watching, I think. Yeah, I mean, there was nothing about it that would indicate that it was a shoot. Like... The guy yeah. took a wrestling move, like, and like it wasn't a botched move or anything. Like, they did, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, it was just like, I don't know. I mean, I, who, who, I can't imagine that anyone was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is a shoot. So that brings us to the end of the show. And, uh, I guess going back to the start of the show where I read that Dave quote and said, we'll decide where a live report said this was a good show, not great, mostly because of the last three matches. I would say the last three matches do elevate this from a show I would call outright like kind of bad to a not terrible wrestling show, but easily I would say one of the worst Ring of Honor shows we've you watched in. Like you said earlier, I don't remember when. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have ever said bad, um, but I would have said very boring. And I, I don't think the, I, for me it wasn't the last three matches that elevated it. To me, it was the last two. Like the last hour elevated it a yeah. lot. You know, if, if this match had ended with the, the Danielson match, I still would have been like, oh, that match, that, that was the most boring ROH show that I've seen in like an extremely long time. Um, as it is, I did think the last hour was like good, entertaining pro wrestling, like legitimately. Yeah, yeah. if you just made the hour like a TV show or something, that's a good hour of TV, you know? Yeah. So, so I think in the end up, they, it ends up with them kind of like saving it in terms of like, okay, it, it, it meets, you know, the low end of ROH's standards. It's, it's not like shockingly dull the way it would have been if it was just the first two hours. But the first two hours were, I would say, borderline shockingly dull for ROH in 2006. Um, you and, know, and I mean, obviously it had to follow the best run of shows in ROH history. Um, and I feel like there's some sort of inevitability about the next show being a letdown there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's natural. It's not going to happen on every show. It's I know that the show, that, like, I know the show the next night has a very good reputation. I have not watched it in many years, but I'm looking forward to seeing if that, you know, kind of, um, washes the taste out of the mouth from the, from the negative stuff on this show. It is funny that like, we just watched a series where we were like, will the milestone series like live up to our memories? And I think we ended thinking like, yeah, this is as good as we remember. Like these are all pretty much all great shows. Some of them, some of the best shows in ring of honor history. And uh, like you, I, I expected there to be like a step down, you know, a, a little bit of a breathing exhale after all that. But, you know, people talk about the phrase going zero to 60. This was like going maybe not 60 to zero, but like 60 to 10 or 15 maybe like this is was a dramatic downshift in quality the but B, uh, one of the beast of shows if that's exactly yes. and the other thing i guess i was gonna say is i feel kind of bad for dayton because i feel like dayton 
was for a few years, the last few years, been one of Ring of Honor's better like B show crowds. And I feel like to get kind of demoted to the second half, the first half of a double shots with Cleveland now getting the bigger second shows like for the next show we're going to be covering the second half of the double shot, Cleveland gets Claudio versus Joe, which is a fairly big match, you know, based on the storyline and kind of a novel first timer match here in ring of honor. I believe it gets super dragon versus BJ Whitmer, which they've built with these last two crazy brawls. And, you know, they're going to go ape shit on each other. You got, um, another tag match, which is, uh, Aries and strong versus, uh, Raven Shelley, right? Yeah, yeah, which is, you know, some could argue that the Joe and Seidel is a more enticing match on paper, but that match has more of a storyline hook in some ways that the feud between the embassy and Gen Next, and they have been giving um, the embassy a lot of wins recently. And then you got Nigel versus Danielson for the first time. So, like, that's a much, much bigger, better show, in my opinion, on paper that Cleveland got over um, – yeah, well, I mean over Dayton. So I felt kind of bad for Dayton. I was in like, 2005, Dayton really was treated very well by ROH until they decided not to go to there at all for the last uh, last third of the year. And then when they come back, they're basically like, "Okay, Dayton's the B show town now." Yeah, it's, so it's, I felt it's kind definitely of bad weird. For- definitely weird. Yeah, but either way, not an out, not an unwatchable show. It's nearly impossible for Ring of Honor at this point to be an unwatchable show, but. This is definitely, unless you are an absolute completist, I would say this is a very, very easy skip of a show. So um, that brings us to the end of the show. It was one of the weirdest shows. I, I quite had a good time, but Matt, this was one of the weirdest records I've ever had. It's probably one of the shortest shows we've ever done and one of the most boring Ring of Honor shows we ever covered. But thank God the podcast makes it good. That's right. The um, podcast makes it good. English Muffins. <laughs> yeah, then the whole crumpet talk. So, um, if you want to get in contact with us through the years at gmail.com is our email address, T H R O H for through. Uh, our Twitter is at Trevor Dame and at Mayor MGF, as long as Twitter will be going on. And, uh, yeah, we have a thread on the pro only.com plugs forum. And until then, we next time on the show, we will be coming, covering Weekend of Champions Night 2, which, as Matt said, has a much better reputation than the show. It's a card that I just ran down the best, best matches for you. So that should be exciting. That should be huge. Getting to see Nigel versus Danielson for the first time again. Um, the match that they don't, people don't remember quite as much as the other ones. That's going to be fun. So it can't be worse than this. There can't be another domestic dispute. So until next time, have a good time. Have a great time.